You're listening to Third Opinion MD. Imagine a healthcare where you actually matter, not just the symptom you walk in with for the 15 minute appointment, but who you are as a person, the struggles you faced, your family legacy, your family secrets. Imagine all of those things matter. In this episode, Ramey is going to explore her family history and also reflect on the tapping experience she had with the last visit. It's one of the reasons why I was wanting to do this whole season is because it is so different from what I have seen. I'm yes. doing what I don't see out there. Exactly. Being an artist, it's being a physician, it's also being someone who's had a history of trauma, also understanding kind of like how we need to be very creative studying Chinese medicine. There isn't one way to describe it. One person said it's like a 360 evaluation of you. I'm like, that's a business way of describing it. It's pretty good. It is. It's a very business way. But I see it as when I go to work or just thinking about my the people I know, we all need this so badly. I mean, I feel like people want this and it wouldn't be too much of a, of a thing that we could shift how we do medicine to treat the whole person. I just feel like it's this is important. I, I, I just feel like it's a need that people have. They don't even know they no. need it. I'm your host, Barbara Delatore. I'm a physician and artist bringing a blended perspective to you about healthcare and exploring simpler ways to restore and maintain your health. Help me share this. Tell them to sign up for the newsletter. You can do that on the website at thirdopinionmd.org forward slash newsletter. Thanks so much and enjoy the episode. How's it been so far with the questions? What? Um, how did the family questions go? It's, you know, sometimes I tend to just kind of gloss over things and then I'll go back and go, oh, wait, for, you know, kind of forgetting about even just the <laughs> complex relationships of my parents <laughs> and how, like, oh, and the houses do have um, kind of an inherent, just like attachment to place and how we are attached to these places and even homes and things like that made sense. You're asking me these questions. I was like, well, I've never thought about it like that, but I have actually thought about it. These different places that I've lived or how they even smell. If I go somewhere and I'll smell the same smell as that house, the questionnaires, I think just made me start to notice maybe some patterns. It wasn't as anxiety producing as I thought it would be. I know you were filling out more demographic and your past medical history and medication history before we did the first tapping mm -hmm. session. And after the tapping session, that's when I sent you the family history of origin questions, where you lived, how you grew up, which could bring up potential memories. Did you notice a difference in how you responded to I mean, those? I don't want to say it's like, oh, it cured me of my anxiety. I had nothing, you know, before this, the mom stuff was just like flooding my brain. It, every woman looks like my mom here. I, it's like every blonde woman, just like, oh my God. And we're right <laughs> off the freeway. You know, she could easily be getting gas or something. So that was always on my mind. And since we did that, it was just more of like, I would say my logical brain took over of just, this is her, this is that, this is this. So I just feel less attached to that emotion. I think last time I wouldn't have been able to talk about this like this without emotion rising up. And now I'm able to talk about it. And what you're describing, uh, you were you were gesturing right. to your throat, the idea of like having that rising chest yes. tightness and yeah. ball in your throat wasn't happening when you were filling out these things that after the tapping session, you were able to fill them out 
without being in exactly. that movie and feeling exactly. those physical feelings. Exactly. Well, you know, cure is not the only goal right. in life, right? Sometimes just way better. Yeah, I mean, nice, I feel better. It? So yeah. that, and I, you know, nothing, yeah, I don't feel harmed. I don't feel like there's a side effect. You know, if I took a pill, I'd be dealing with some other side effects or thinking about that. It just feels good that I was able to let myself feel the feelings and address the feelings and then move on because so much of it is just suppressing it. So I have this idea. So I'm going to share with you. Okay. <laughs> And if you don't like the idea, I'm okay with it. Okay. <laughs> Here I'm like building it up. It came to me the last, you know, the, over the last day when I was recording. Well, actually it was when I was reading your journal on the EFT tapping and what you'd been doing this last month. The genogram mm -hmm. <laughs> for you, man. Okay. Oh, so man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, normally what I do is I map out the genogram, the family, you know, heritage of relationships and diseases on a piece of paper. And that's even um, from a systems point of view, looking at it all from one page. But for you, I'd like to do it in a form of an in-person session. Okay. And one of the things I'm thinking about is sort of an art therapy type craft thing. Yeah. We're going to actually rent the space where we took the class. It was an elementary school. Yep. It's an arts community center and we can maybe rent a smaller room and yeah. create the genogram 3d. Cool. I love okay. that. Okay. That. We're going to play. Awesome. This is going to be like art play therapy. Yeah. Okay. The idea is to take one of those rolling, you know, construction papers and put it out on the table. We're going to make a ginormous genogram for you. And okay. what we can do is do it as a collage. Mm-hmm. So we'll have glue and scissors and string. And that way we're in the process of discussing it together and not me drawing this map out. What do you think? Yeah. And it's confusing, even though it's written down for you. It's just all those little things that, yeah, that might be more effective in person. You know, when I listened to the part about my dad and the alcoholism, I thought about, I don't know if I wrote this, I might've written it and erased it to you. Uh, because hearing it and then I'm listening to it as like, okay, if my uncle listens to it, which he probably won't, you know, mm -hmm. he probably won't. But I think he, and then I thought, well, do I, should I do this? Is this going to be, you know, they still really, a lot of them don't admit that he had an alcohol problem. My grandmother does not acknowledge that he was an alcoholic. My grandmother, she's not going to listen to this podcast. She's not <laughs> so, going to listen to this podcast. Uh, it's really important to me that it's, it's in there with him because that is part of, um, that's a really important part of this. That's um, a huge part of this. It's Yeah. And so it has to be in there. And I just thought you know, maybe, maybe hopefully they do listen to it. I hope that they do. I think that my one uncle that would, he's one that helped my dad through rehab. So he is fully, he knows, you know, what eventually, you know, what my dad went through, but I did have that moment. And then I thought, no, this is the story. This is, this is part of it and he's dead. So I don't really. And it's context. <laughs> it's I get to tell it. Yeah. Creamy. yeah it's, exactly it's a really context. important context. Yeah. Yeah. That alcoholism explains why you were born genetically with liver dysfunction. Right. That also that transgenerational trauma, because there was alcoholism, as I was reading through your story, that goes further back beyond your dad. And on both sides, mom, both dad, sides. everybody. Yeah, on both all sides. So, yeah. You know, there were some things that were funny. <laughs> you mean, you're a very funny person. So, I mean, I was reading... <laughs> also can hide some things that mm -hmm. we're, you know, dealing and it's a way of coping. Mm -hmm. Like to mention, 
you know, <laughs> could I describe my family as white trash? You know, and yes, that yeah. <laughs> I I I laughed, but then the the next thing I thought of was what made them who they were. Right. And what I wonder if if we deconstruct that, if that would help. Yeah. 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 Because within that is a host of mental, physical, mental illnesses. When I say that, it's really like the umbrella (laughs) kind of or the bowl catching all of the things that make it that. I'm going to give context that whenever we use labels, I asked Ramey to give labels to her family because there is sometimes it's easier for us to name things based on things we're familiar with, like stereotypes. So it's not about name calling and stereotyping. This is not about diversity, equity, and inclusion. This is about deconstruction and and finding labels. Sometimes labels can help us get somewhere and then we can take the label away. That's the whole goal. And it wasn't asking to label that specifically, but it was saying, you know, what is your family's motto? What's the movie theme? So that was were some of the questions I was asking. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to give context because the listeners are coming in, right? And saying, what? Yeah. And also just giving you context, because I feel like saying that you sort of get, okay, when I see, when I think about that phrase or words, I, this is what comes to mind. And so I was kind of bringing you of like, think about that, those types of people. That's what we're, (laughs) that's what we're talking about. Oh, very dysfunctional. Yeah. 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 Impoverished. Yep. Yep. Dysfunctional, marginalized people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole reason for doing the genogram is that you can go back and not only appreciate yourself, you can go back and forgive and love your ancestors for what they went through. Because mm-hmm. I've done that in my own life. The more we do that, the better. Yeah. But it's not forceful. The goal of this whole thing is not for you to, hey, forgive your whole family and move on. No, this is just about <laughs> you know, the context of it, because context is everything. That's part of what systems thinking is, You know, giving it some type of environmental soup what soup are you in? What what environmental milieu are you in? Depending on what your constitution is and the way I would describe constitution just for other listeners. The constitution, according to Chinese medicine, one of the experts in medical, what's called medical acupuncture, a physician who practices acupuncture, came up with the term biopsychotype. And it's one way to describe it. It is the idea that you can have a personality fitting with certain physical tendencies for health. Mm -hmm. And that's a pattern. So you're born with sort of this pattern of where you can be in a very healthy state. It's part of that five elements that we talked about. That makes sense. Yeah. You are born with some percentages of metal Mm -hmm. and fire and water and wood Mm -hmm. and earth. And these are just elements with names. Just think of them as like mm-hmm. stations, right? And that the there are all these attributes that are assigned to them based on what people have observed for thousands of years as kind of, oh, this happens to reoccur mm-hmm. all the time. That's called repetition, like repeatable observation. And oh, gee, that's science. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These are scientific theories with elegant yeah. names. So you're born with this makeup. And if we look at your genogram or when we do, we're going to be looking at your parents and your family members and their personality types and their physical tendencies. So we're going to get an idea of where they are in the five element. Yeah. And what's so cool about that is that it stops becoming this linear, you know, rift 
And then suddenly you start to develop these patterns of how can I start to interact with these people to make my life more harmonious and more in rhythm? Because the five element wheel that I described, how there's a generating cycle for these elements. And then there's a controlling cycle where it helps to damp down excess Mm -hmm. in each element. You can do that with relationships. (laughs) I mean, I'm trying to hold back. It is so exciting because then suddenly you look at things so differently, you know, not to say it'll happen like in the snap of your fingers, you might notice things, even in raising Mm -hmm. your kids. The idea is to create models and understand the system and the dynamics of the system so that you can learn how to move in and out of these patterns without being scathed or harmed or traumatized. It's like coming from both systems outside of psychology and also Mm-hmm. in psychology to, and Chinese medicine and bridging yeah. them together. And then you can really take a powerful view because imagine looking at your whole family on one piece of paper. I mean, it is possible. Right. With you, maybe a little challenging. <laughs> a little bit, I know. So I said, I, you I will, me I will admit. When I... <laughs> Even my friends, I said I was doing it and they're like, oh no. Oh, <laughs> did you do a PowerPoint? Did you do a... And they only know, some of them only know a little bit. Even that. It's a lot. It's a lot of stuff going <laughs> on. We can create several genograms, and I think that's what's going to be the case with you, is that we'll start with one for this program, and then I can recommend some offshoots of like things to consider in the EFT sessions. Did you notice how I didn't really talk a lot about science? Right, yeah. And I'm a physician, and so half of me is a scientist. (laughs) Why do you think I didn't do that? I mean, for me, if you had, I think it would have distracted me in that I had to apply like, well, this isn't happening like energetically. It's, I don't know, it's that sort of doubt of like, well, it's not really, it's just like the placebo. It's just you thinking this, which that's the whole point is that I'm thinking. Yeah, because I I wasn't talking to your science brain. I wasn't talking to your rational brain. I was talking to your five-year-old subconscious brain. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I was putting together the show notes for those two episodes on EFT, I myself was asking, that's how, that's why I'm asking you the question, because I had to answer that question. Wait, why did I leave the science out? (laughs) Yeah. Because a lot of times it gets in our own way. Yeah. And, but I'm going to offer the science. So it's, it was offered. So that's why I wrote the science in the show notes to reference to a blog that, that I wrote about. There's a lot of evidence that this works, but that's not what the five-year-old wants to hear. Right. I could see myself fighting that. Well, if there's evidence, this will help. Then my brain would try to get me to that help. Does that make sense? It's more of mm-hmm. like that because I've been in therapy my whole life and was able in a, in a negative way and I'm kind of mm-hmm. manipulative way. So I I think my brain subconsciously can manipulate that. Like, okay, so this is supposed to help you. So now you're going to make it help and now manufacture something that it will help. And if that makes sense. And Um, it disappointed you in the past when it was evidence that it would help. Right. Right. Because it didn't. Right. Totally help. It helped some. Right. But it didn't complete. And you're in that process. We're always a work in progress. I'm not saying, Mm -hmm. oh, Ramey, congrats. I know. You never (laughs) have to do this again. Fantastic. As someone who had been in therapy as a kid, I was always told that whatever I was thinking or feeling wasn't mine. It was some someone else's or someone told me to feel that way. So I think growing up as an adult, you sort of don't know, are these my feelings? Are they their feelings? Or is this how they feel? And then I'm just 
I don't know, something about it really did. That doesn't mean that other people aren't going to be helped by taking a pill. I want to be clear because a lot of my friends are in therapy and it really does help them. And the medicine they take does help them, makes them function. But there really wasn't anything for me. There was no medicine. There was endless therapy. You know, that was just an endless hamster wheel that I could get on. And same with a pill. I could get on lorazepam, but I feel like that session changed a lot for me. And I know that sounds wild to say that little bit, but I really do feel like things did shift and change for me. Um, how how yeah. did that first how did that first tapping session change? I notice I am less that that emotion comes up less. So me being triggered by seeing women that look like my mom or reminding just any sort of thing that would kind of set me off or get my, get that, what would you say that rising energy, you know, that right, like the, with the throat and all of that, that feels different. It feels more like how I deal with my dad's passing in that, you know, I can think about him and I can think about all the things and there's really not a lot of emotion attached. It doesn't mean I'm like dead inside about it. It just means I'm not, I've accepted he's gone, you know, wherever that is. And um, I have, I can talk about him and I can do all of these things without dealing with all of those residual emotions with my mom. It's obviously harder. She's not dead. Um, she's and that's different, right? They're, they're different aspects. Different. Yeah. Yeah. And so how- I feel like it's a grieving process I'm going through um, that's different than someone passing away. Um, and, and so w- grief comes up in different ways. And I feel like that helped me manage that that grief piece that I feel we even had a a patient come in last week that looked like exactly like my mom and I knew I just thought oh great here we go okay and she's really nice and warm like different than I feel like maybe my mom would act like this to people that she didn't know but um it, it was very interesting and I just sort of uh, luckily we have to do a lot of work where, you know, they're not talking, they can't talk and they're looking. So I could collect, you know, I could just kind of notice your, you notice that she looks like your mom, you notice this thing and, and you, you recognize that feeling and now it's going to go away. Now you're. So the intensity is less. The intensity is less. Isn't that monumental? Isn't that just huge? It's huge. What's funny though, remember that effect I told you about where you're going to talk yourself out of the fact that it's miraculous. You're going to talk yourself down (laughs) almost saying, oh, it must have not been that bad. That's that's going outside of what's called in systems theory, bounded rationality. You know what that is? Mm -mm. So bounded rationality, think of it as the way you rationalize your world is bounded by a boundary uh, based on your knowledge. So just think about if you only know the world to work a certain way, in other words, if you only know one medical system, that's an Mm -hmm. example, Mm -hmm. you're going to rationalize anything that is outside that logic as an aberration or something like a one-off. But in systems theory, it's called bounded rationality where you say, you just, you, you dismiss it or you, persecute it or you get rid of it or you just say eh it's nothing yeah so that that tends to happen so i'm 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 here as the guide and this is one of the reasons why tapping for things like trauma or not should not be left to yourself alone you mm-hmm. should do this with a guide this is why i do this with clients with my background in a very careful way 
Like if we don't want to go somewhere, we don't go somewhere. But I, I can with you. When it gets better, I'm here to remind you to celebrate. So okay. time to celebrate. Yay. I know. I felt really good. My anxiety has been a lot less. That could also be PMS. <laughs> the end of my, you know, I'm also noticing that part of, you know, what I, what I, my, mentally, what, how that impacts me as well and how maybe tapping can help prepare me for those times <laughs> in the month where it is, and maybe it's an energetic, maybe it's hormones, all of the things of being out of balance and, and what that does um, and how that lets other things affect me. Yeah. And, and these, and if you're looking again with Chinese medicine, you're looking at the interrelationship. So the energy or energetic component of who you are is interacting with the hormones and the emotions and the physical issues, anything. So it is almost a way of literally tapping into that through yeah. tapping or through acupuncture, or through the mindfulness, through your Qigong practice called Jade Leaves Qigong. And you've been practicing this since the class, which was, in, I think, a couple months ago. July, yeah, it was July. It was my dad's birthday, July 22nd. So, oh. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was your dad's birthday? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, not that was not that was not intentional in fact i didn't even i don't even think i said anything at all um, my dad's birthday is like the most important day of that was like if you miss my dad's birthday it was like you know you were in big trouble so <laughs> just it was a really important day and and even you know now it's even more important <laughs> for me wow <laughs> that was your first qigong class and that yeah. was your dad's birthday mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When did your dad die? He died uh, November of 2020. So November, I believe like the 18th, 20th of 2020. This is going to sound like a strange question, but when, mm -hmm. yeah. when do you feel like he was starting to die? I, ooh, that's a tough question. Um, I feel like throughout my life, I've always sort of waited. I'm waiting for him to die, basically. When is it going to happen? Is it going to be this year? Um, but really, like this piece where I thought this is we're getting really close was about a month before, exactly a month before, honestly, because I remember I left his house. I had taken him to a doctor's appointment. He could barely walk. The doctor was doing something with his heart, but was talking about how he heard, oh, yeah, there's fluid in your lungs. It was cancer. He had cancer everywhere. He couldn't walk because the cancer had moved all the way through his legs. We had to like pick him upstairs. And throughout all of that, he, for the first time, let me give him, give him his meds. He would never, he was so private, you know, don't go in my medicine cabinet. Not that there was anything in there. I mean, the most he had was like Doan's back pain pills. That was the the most. So um, that that month when I left, I thought this is something is happening. Um, but we found out about three days before he died that he had cancer. So we had about we had hours to. So to he didn't tell us. you. No, in fact, my grandma, you know, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to talk to my grandma because she'll dwell on and on. Do you, do you think he knew? Do you think he had an idea? Do you think the doctors knew? And I went to that doctor's, but I don't 
I don't think anybody was even, I don't think anyone was talking to each other. So I don't, and he, he was admitted into the emergency room. I don't know if anyone knew that he had sepsis. He walked out. He was like, I'm not, I'm not staying here. And that so was he walked July. out against medical advice, against medical advice. And he AMA. told me, and he said, Oh, the guy. And I said, well, yeah, cause you have sepsis and your blood sugar was like 600 when they found you passed out in your driveway, you know? Yeah. You probably should have stayed, but okay. You know, and then he lives, you know, another few months. And, um, my aunt's a nurse. It's a small town. She knows all the doctors and he, she was his, I would say, I guess it's power of attorney or whoever gets that. So I think if, if there was cancer, she would have known a doctor would have told her she's friends with all these people. She was very upset that they found it so late. I don't know if he knew, but I think maybe subconsciously he did, you know, I just the way he acted the month before he died. You know, cancer of the liver is something that there are different causes of it, but the primary cause is chronic alcoholism, cirrhosis, you know, sometimes there are other causes, but that, yeah, I think he knew years that he was not wanting to live. Exactly. Because my dad, I mean, he had untreated depression. He had untreated um, injury, you know, in his body that he did not treat in his brain and his body that he just, he just put it into gear and went straight. He just drove right into the wall. I call <laughs> just, I'm going to keep going. And he always said, I'll make all the mistakes. So you don't have to. How old were you when he started, when you knew that that's the direction he was taking his life? I was, uh, when he first went into rehab, I was in fourth grade and that was the first time where I was like, what do you mean? What's, what do you mean? He has an alcohol problem. Like it doesn't everyone's dad drink, you know, a 12 pack. He wasn't like a raging drunk. He was just, he was, it was always harder for him because he could drink a 12 pack and still drive a car, be a normal guy, you know, go to work. Like he was very functioning in his illness in that. Was he easier going with the alcohol? Honestly, um, I enjoyed my dad sober and it in poverty. That is where my and I, it's, it sounds bad, but those were no, throughout my life the experiences, the good, the positive, the sort of happy, the where I felt the most secure were when he was sober and not didn't have a lot of money. You know, had a limited amount, a budget. He stayed with, it was a lot of fun. He um, always provided and it always, it didn't feel like we were poor because um, he's very creative and outgoing and knew a lot of people. So we're all doing things and people provided for us, you know, family, friends. Um, so when he was drinking um, towards, I would say like 15 years ago, he, he was, uh, he was a mess. He was out of control. He was, I think you saw in that story, what happened with it, with his job, with his uh, third marriage. Uh, It was, I was fighting with him. I would go visit and it was, it was such an anxiety ridden time for me. Were you in Uh, your, I was in my early twenties mid to early to mid. And I was in California. So I was very removed from every, everyone and everything. I think I didn't know I was doing that, but I was leaving everything to start somewhere new when I went to college. Um, And when I would come home, it was a lot. It was just all constant drinking. And I'm doing it because that's my age and everybody's drinking. So we're all going to do it. Um, And it just was really yucky. It was just it was just not a great time. 
And he had tons of money then. And he had a big, nice house with an elevator and everything's, you know, look at me. But it was feast or famine with your dad. Exactly. Yeah. It was never, it was never a middle ground or what, what we would call balance in our lives. I mean, there's balance in health and then there's balance emotionally and balance in your environment. And your environment was literally going from one extreme to the other. Right. Where my dad was extreme. Yeah. And then my mom was extreme uh, takeaway, you know, every from food to clothing to your heat, you know, everything taking away and then go to my dad and I, I just could do whatever I want, you know, and that's why I was probably smoking cigarettes in fourth grade because, you know, you know, taking sips of his beer because it was just, it was I could do whatever, eating Doritos for breakfast and ice cream. Was that cream. A, in your mom's house or in your That dad's was my dad's house. Yeah. My uh-huh. dad's house, I could do it. Uh, I mean, and that would drive my mom crazy because I would go to her house and <laughs> and uh, not demand things, but just, you know, there was no, there was no balance. It was at one extreme to another and neither of them talked about how do we balance this for our daughter? <laughs> it was. Well, and, and to function to function well, and I'm going to bring in systems again, because this is, it's another way of, of taking blame out of an, an element or an action that happened and saying that, okay, look at the structure of the system in your family, mm-hmm. where you had all these extremes and unpredictability and that you don't know the rules you know, and that's, those are, that's important for, for really establishing not just rules for a system, but rules that aren't stupid. And I mean that in the sense of a systems theory approach, not in your life. Right, right, right. Rules when, when rules are not great for the goal in mind, which the goal is for you to become a a happy and productive human being. And when, (laughs) when those things are happening, there's like, there's a, there's confusion. And in addition to that, you had this competing households. I think they were divorced or separated by that point. They were divorced. Um, yeah. Divorced. At what age? And my, were you? my mom was absent for a little while. I don't really know what happened. So I was with my grandma, thankfully, my grandparents. On had, your dad's on your dad's on my side. dad's side, my paternal grandparents had that stability. Their home had been the a home for 80 years. I'd been my grandparent great grandparents' home. So my grandmother was born there grew up there. So that was a solid place for me. And I think that's luckily where I got a lot of my foundation. When we talk about the window, I feel like sometimes I had, I didn't really have a window. I was born with like the structure of a house (laughs) and with (laughs) some tools, I sort of made my, my window. So it's been this, like, I had maybe like an opening, the whole wall was gone. So I had to (laughs) maybe put up you know, actual solid walls that wouldn't come down. And then my window, I, so I sort of, um, yeah, neither, my parents had no boundary either way. There was no boundaries. Yeah. And the, the, are you familiar with the, the I Ching, the, those hexagrams? I think we talked about that oh, one yeah, time. Yeah. Yeah. That hexagram 60 comes to mind again. Hexagram 60 means limits or limitation. And it's the image of water over a lake. So water itself is limitless. You put it anywhere, it's going to go everywhere. You put it in a lake, in a container, and it suddenly has a container that limits it in some way so that it has meaning. And that's the idea of limitation. Limitations are not bad, 
systems tell you that there's no such thing as boundaries, actually. That's why we're so affected by our environment, why our upbringing is so important, why who we are is so important, you know, the the terrain of our own self and all the parts that make us. And if you don't have limits, limits are helping us to understand the systems within systems. It helps us to create our identity. And that's part of the problem when we don't have those limits is we have to ask ourselves, you know, who are you? And that's a question that gets answered either just by hard knocks, by growing up through therapy, through positive relationships, can help redefine that. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do some art and play therapy with the genogram with you, because then we can recreate in a way that's playful and also re reestablishing those things that were not there before. And I don't, I, therapy can be a, a, you know, this is technically not therapy. We're creating a genogram, but right. a lot of things can be therapeutic. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say it's therapeutic. <laughs> that's right. And having those role models is therapeutic. Having your grandparents stabilize and anchor you as the lake for your water self kind of moving through life it's funny you say lake because i grew up at their lake cabin it was like this old shack that was that's my favorite place to be is the lake because that is funny that is funny that, <laughs> that is funny yeah and no and sometimes it's not an accident that those things are yeah. there our environment can create that sense of stability just like for your wood the wood that's missing in the earth in your five elements not missing but very deficient. Deficient. Yeah. Yeah. You supplement that for yourself. So that lake supplemented that for you being at your grandparents. That's really and just thinking about how I was as a kid. I was always at someone else's house that sort of seeking out when I was at my mom's, I was not at her home. I would be at so people, my my friend Camille, who I've known since I was eight years old, second grade, her parents played a huge role in just having a foundation of, of two, you know, people in a household that got along and did fun things as a family. I got to see that. And when I went to Inchilium, which is in the middle of nowhere, completely isolated, I found my friend like the first day of school and she, her family welcomed me and they had no reason or business to, they didn't have, they couldn't afford another, you know, kid to show up at lunchtime or whatever to, but I didn't really eat. So it didn't matter. <laughs> but, um, uh, they let me be at their family whenever I wanted to and and see how they just were a family together and a community together. I mm -hmm. learned a lot of like my social emotional health came from communities I lived in. And I feel as a teacher, I really tried to remember that. And mm -hmm. then I looked at research and it shows research does show that that does help kids with their success. So yeah, it was a lot of people. It was a, it was a team effort, but just that I as a kid even knew I needed that. We, it is so important. I I really want to make a whole season on relationship building because I think the idea of the community and connection is so important. We focus a lot on this self, but we're not, we're losing that connection with people on so, so many important. levels. Yeah, yeah, it is so important of just even when you think about your kids, do they know your neighbors? Do they know the librarian? I mean, the librarian at the school I lived when I went to Inchilium, 
she saved my life. Like the things that she did. And it turns out she was a very sad, lonely alcoholic who was drinking herself to death, mm. lived next door to us. But she brought me in and let me into the, like, the, it was a high school. So it was K-12. Um, it's a small, it was a Indian reservation caged area. And she would let me go in there as like a fourth and fifth grader and get whatever books I wanted. And my mom didn't care what I read as long as I was reading. I got access to a lot of different things. And that, and I mean, books obviously were my escape. Yeah. Just those, just little things, the people, you know, <laughs> I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit about the native American heritage for your family. You know, that was, um, that was another thing that makes that I was so accepted in these families. I sort of still think about that because there is no, as far as I know, indigenous uh, blood. We were not there. We were only there because my stepfather at the time um, was, uh, got hired as the principal. Wow. um, So uh, we moved there just out of the blue. Um, They had a program where you get your loans paid off if you worked so many years in like a Title I impoverished area. So he was trying to do that. I guess the way I looked, I don't know, I was really tan when I got there. I, you know, have dark hair, dark features. So I don't know. And there were a lot of kids who were indigenous that looked blonde hair, blue eyed. So it, it wasn't like a certain way you had to look. I don't know how they accepted me so much because he had power. You know, he was a, a white male on a reservation. They they tend to have all the power there. There's you can commit crimes. There's not you know, there's not much you can't do. A lot of people that were living there, you know, that's they were it was not the same system for us as it was for like the friends and family I was visiting. So the fact that they let me in now, I know, is very vulnerable for them. I don't know if they thought maybe I was adopted or they, no one ever asked. Did you look like your parents? No, that's the other thing that I've been told my whole life that I, for a while, I think I told this in one of my, the worksheets that my dad used to tell me he picked me up in the milk section of the grocery (laughs) store. (laughs) Yeah, he was funny. Um, (laughs) But telling that to a little kid, you know, as a joke, haha, I'm like, what is, am I adopted? You know, when I first, you know, and I remember thinking like, that would be really cool. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> I mean, did you, did you ask them? I mean, real in seriousness, did you ask? No, them? I knew because my, uh, I had seen pictures of my mom pregnant and I'd heard my mom complain about how I almost killed her being born and um, that I was super. No, well, complained or was she? No, no, no. Let's go back. Let's backtrack on that. On that just a minute. <laughs> my mom complained. I almost that you oh, almost yeah. killed her. Okay. Well, how did you hear your birth story? So my parents tell it very differently. My dad's very romantic about it. You know, his version is a snowstorm and it's all these other layers and he's very excited. Everyone's excited. And we're trying to make you wait till, you know, midnight because it was close to New Year's Eve and all this stuff. My mom's version is more realistic clinically in that (laughs) I was way overdue. Uh, I had uh, gone to the bathroom basically in utero and that was an emergency to get me out. So her thing was, well, you almost killed me, you know, you know, before they had the C-section, they had to rip you out because you were, you were trying to kill me. How did she look when she was saying that to you at the time when she was telling Mm -hmm. you that story? I don't know. I think it's been told to me so much that I just sometimes indifferent. Because sometimes I remember there's a picture of me as like a two-year-old crying and I'm reaching for someone, you know how kids do when they're crying. And I remember attaching that image to her saying like, you were so needy as a baby, which is so ridiculous. Like babies are needy. They (laughs) They by nature, 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was so needy and, you know, just so emotional as a toddler. And I always attached that picture. And then, you know, thinking about my mom, just very indifferent. This is the lot I have. I have to have you kids and this is what I have to do. So kind of that feeling of, you know, I don't know if she really ever wanted to have kids. How old was your mom when she had you? I think 28. So late 20s. Late 20s. And your dad? Same. The same age. 28. Yeah. Do you have knowledge whether your dad was drinking the time you were conceived? Oh, um, yeah, for sure. Just based on his lifestyle, the photos, he was obviously very bloated. Doing the dad, you know, they were living the like kind of fake suburban life for a little bit. My sister for the first time had uh, like a house, you know, a room. I remember that they had her in a private school. It was very... This is the older the sister, the older, my sister. older sister, okay. yeah, my mom's, my mom's uh, daughter. Oh, mom's daughter. Okay. Yeah. She came into that marriage with my sister, Laura. Yeah. He was definitely drinking, probably doing some drugs. I think cocaine was involved in their relationship a lot at that time too. Late seventies, early eighties, definitely part of it. And then my dad on that roller coaster. So he's up, he's down, he's up, he's down. So I think this was his up period <laughs> in that moment. You were mentioning in the first, one of the first questionnaires, I was kind of wanting to know what your top three concerns were. And, and that's not to limit you. Like in Western medicine, I call it the, the one problem visits that providers will limit you to. They literally will tell you, you can only see me for one problem, which I, I think is, it is not, it is not, it is not good. Top three concerns would be preventing type two diabetes, managing weight and diet. That was number one. Number two is eye health and prevention. So the issues with your eyes in the past and what you want to prevent in the future and managing perimenopausal symptoms. There's so much to take apart here that there is. <laughs> thank you for the challenge, Rami. This is wonderful. Yeah, sorry. You <laughs> knew. But I should have a disclaimer yeah. when I walk into No, <laughs> this is actually what I'm used to because this is what I see. Yeah. A lot of people, yeah. by the time they see me, the typical third md -er, right? Third opinion MDR is, mm -hmm. is the person who's been seeing a lot of different people and not gotten a lot of answers or a condition hasn't gotten better despite getting all of these different interventions, or they're just curious, but most will do this after they've had to try to work within the systems that they think are there. I also asked this follow-up question. What ended up coming out in the tapping was not what you talked about in your top three concerns. <laughs> Oh, isn't, isn't that, that funny? Fun? <laughs> yeah. And the reason why I ask another question is, what do you think about the most and what keeps you up at night? Then other things come out. And mm -hmm. you had mentioned mm -hmm. some things about anxiety, about the past, mm -hmm. family relationships. Mm -hmm. That's just a summary. Yeah. One of the reasons why I, I like to address a lot of psycho-emotional issues is because that is the root of so many problems that if we don't get at the root, yeah, we treat the eye. Okay, we can treat the perimenopausal symptoms. But the root cause could be, like you were saying, bottled up things that keep coming up over and over yeah. again. Because according to ancient Chinese medicine, and it's still true to this day, and we, we see it just by being people. And the medical establishment is kind of catching on with certain specific things like stress causes ulcers. Or yep. people can have a broken heart and have heart disease. After yep. a heart attack, yep. they're known to have depression. In Chinese medicine, it's like, oh, yeah, we know that. 
that that yeah. is a connected thing. Yeah. <laughs> if an emotion is dealt with where it's not lingering for years and years, you can start to then repair everything that has manifested mm -hmm. as a result of that. That's one of the reasons why I ask what keeps you up at night. Just even in just the past, really just going back. And I think, why? Why am I here? You know, why am I thinking about this person? They're dead, you know, or why am I thinking about this person? They're they're dead to me. So <laughs> like, I don't, <laughs> why are they here with me? Well, I'm trying well, to sleep. There's so it. many things uh, we could But I kind for. of did. I was tapping. I was like, I know. <laughs> I was like there, there are, you'll never run out of it. I'm serious. Yeah. There, yeah. You'll never run out of it. Tapping is not the only thing yeah, out right. there. This is just one tool. But yeah. when you learn how to play an instrument, you want to start to practice. And that's yeah, what I'm yeah. encouraging you to do. Yeah. What's on your mug? I've got ladybugs. What about oh, you? I, oh, ladybugs. I have to say after our tapping, I went out, I had watered my yard and I felt I had to sit down on the ground with no shoes. I was like, I have to sit down. And I looked down and there was a ladybug on my leg and I never see ladybugs in my yard. And I instantly thought of you and that whole podcast. So I just thought it was just a neat like moment of like, you know, whatever coincidence could be, I don't know, but it was just, or, or my mom a full circle moment. <laughs> Maybe like, it was my oh. mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You hey, know, she yeah. would have been, she would have been right there. You know, if yeah, she was doing this, yeah. That was amazing. yeah, that's very sweet. Thanks for sharing that. That means, yeah, I did. I mean, I don't want to say like, oh, your mom was, it would just made it all sort of, I don't um, know. my nephew would have said my, my mom was there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I trust my nephew. Good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I see data books and they say, hi, grandmommy. I hope you're okay. And I'm sad. I actually kind of feel her like hugging me. Nine-year-olds are very wise. Yeah, I was going to say, he seems very wise. Be sure to catch the last episode of Season 3, Episode 9, where Raimi completes the health strategy consult. This world can change if you change. The key to healing is to really work inward. If you're at that crossroads where you're not sure where to turn, what direction to take, how much effort to put into something, let's talk. I would love to hear from you. You can reach me through the contact page on thirdopinionmd.org where you can schedule a complimentary consult and we can talk about your situation and see if this is the right time for you to start working on your own health strategy. I want this to reach your friends, your family, anyone you deeply care about. Let's get this out there. Leave a rating and a review on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google, whichever player you use. Just go to my website at thirdopinionmd.org forward slash podcast. Third Opinion MD podcast is produced by me, Barbara Dillatore. Music is licensed through Audio Jungle. Any comments made by the host or guest on Third Opinion MD reflect opinions about healthcare and self-care. Please consult with your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. Thank you for listening.